the Glowing Older Podcast is brought to you by Salt Chamber, the pioneer and leader in salt therapy, bringing flexible respiratory wellness solutions to senior living communities and home care environments. Hello and welcome to the Glowing Older Podcast, where we interview experts on innovation in senior living and the business of aging well. I'm your host, Nancy Griffin. And I'm so pleased to be here today again with Jake Rothstein, founder and CEO of Upside Home. Welcome back to the program, Jake. Nancy, thanks so much. It's great to be with you today. Well, thank you. For those of you who weren't with us last time, we spoke with Jake nearly a year ago. For those who didn't listen, tell us a little bit about your background and how you founded Upside Home. Sure. It really started all out of a personal family need. My grandfather uh, had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and my grandmother had been caring for him for years. Um, and eventually we needed to really make the decision as a family to move him into more traditional senior living, um, to memory care specifically. And my grandmother, all of a sudden at 87 years old, but in pretty otherwise perfect health, uh, found herself completely alone for the first time in her adult life. And she was living in a two-story house that they had built together. Um, all, all while this was happening, she had recently undergone uh, knee replacement surgery. So she was having trouble walking up and down the stairs and sort of navigating the house and the maintenance around the house and all of the things that go into ownership of a home. And so we said, you know what, she's, you know, in great health, but she needs a little bit of extra support. She can't care for the house anymore. Let's sell the house. So the family got together. We sold the house, made a decision uh, to help prolong her financial well-being as well. And we rented her an apartment in the same neighborhood, the neighborhood that was near her Walgreens and near her grandkids and near her doctors. And uh, I sort of stepped in as the as the grandson to help with all of these little supportive type of things that she needed. She didn't like to drive outside a three-mile radius, so I would help her drive uh, beyond that. Uh, she didn't like to go to the grocery store alone because she couldn't handle the big 24-pack of water bottles off the, off the shelf, so I helped her with that. Um, she was able to do all of the other sort of more, uh, you know, the IADL type of activities or the ADL activities, no problem. She was able to shower and bathe and uh, eat and do all that, but she couldn't really handle the supportive services. So one thing led to another and we started thinking like, oh my goodness, my grandmother, not only is she alone, but she needs help with these extra services. In no way is she ready to go to traditional senior living, which she just experienced with my grandfather, putting him into a memory care facility. She was just really turned off by that experience. Um, and we're like, there must be something in between. And so that was sort of the spark for the for the concept of Upside Home. We started in single-family homes, uh, which was you know, presented a number of challenges uh, to facilitating scale and to making sure that we had uniformity in the product. Um, and so we sort of worked our way into traditional, um, sort of inherently intergenerational apartment communities working with big multifamily operators. And that's kind of the genesis of the story. So... Uh... It's been about a year since we have spoken and tell us some of the metrics of growth in that year. Yeah, we've grown tremendously. Uh, not only have we grown our resident base tremendously, we've also grown as a company tremendously. So we've really learned a lot in, in the last year about uh, what, our, you know, what it takes to really make a customer happy or a resident really happy. Uh, what it takes from a home management perspective to keep them engaged and to make sure that we're satisfying their needs and really specifically like what do home managers do and what value are we really providing? And so all of these things alongside our really huge growth in resident, you know, in residence uh, and in our capacity, uh, we've really had a huge growth as a business, just learning uh, and understanding our, our member base, uh, their families, the needs of their families. I mean, our value proposition is interesting because it's different 
when you're talking to an adult child and when you're talking to an older adult themselves. And so we've learned a lot about that as well. Great segue into my next question. So now that you have this uh, critical mass of residents and you're able to aggregate some information about them, um, is there anything that struck you or surprised you from the data? Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of surprising uh, things and things that we didn't really anticipate necessarily um, from a learning standpoint. I think that people are, they they believe maybe that they're more independent than, they, and I think this is probably a, a theme throughout all of senior living. People believe they're more independent than they actually are. And so it's a good thing for us because people tend to lean on their home managers more than they think they will uh, when they're just moving in with us, which is really great because it allows us to sh- really show and provide value to our members, um, which enables sort of better living and longer, li- you know, longer, healthier, better lives. Uh, and so I, th- I think that uh, the, sort of the disconnect between the way a customer or a member or resident, we use these terms interchangeably, comes to us. And then the reality of the situation once they move in is usually pretty, it's a pretty wide gap, um, but it's a gap that we're able to handle. And our home management team is so excellent. Uh, they're really able to be, you know, adaptable to our members' needs. Well, you know, it's interesting because I just uh, I just bought and sold a home. I'm 57 years old and it literally almost killed me. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> it was so hard. And uh, and my friend Matt Thornhill said, well, I think it's because you thought you were 30. <laughs> Honestly, it's a stressful, difficult situation moving and transitioning from one home to another uh, for anybody of any age. You know, I, I think that we really take for granted when, you know, we think back to our 20s or, or even earlier than that moving. Um, and for many people, it's been a it's been a long time since they've done it. So it, it's a it's an event that happens maybe very infrequently for people. So people tend to forget the challenges around you know surrounding moving, and then especially if you're considering an older adult population and the complexities of uh, of that, and, and sort of navigating and coordinating all these different things from moving to downsizing to selling, you know, antiquities that you've been collecting for the last seventy years. Like these are really challenging times. And what makes them more challenging typically is that they surround uh, what we're finding in many cases, maybe in most cases, that they surround a triggering event. Uh, And a triggering event, we call them the five Ds, uh, death, downsizing, divorce, disaster, and disability. Most of our residents fall into one of those buckets. And so there's a really huge sense of urgency that comes around uh, a move for people, which really adds to the stress and it adds to the anxiety. Uh, And we really, we, we pride ourselves on being a hand to hold and kind of like a shoulder to cry on for people uh, as they go through that really challenging and, and anxiety-inducing process. Exactly. And it's funny because my 80-year-old aunt, when I told her about Upside Home, she said, well, what about the stuff? What do people do with their stuff? What, Jake, what, what do people do with their stuff? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's, a, it's something that we deal with regularly. Our operations team handles it um, swimmingly, really. But we work with third parties that are vetted by us uh, that's specialized in downsizing for older adults. And that means there's a variety of different uh, sort of aspects to the downsizing business, as you very well know, Nancy, I'm sure. Um, but, I, you know, we we help facilitate that entire process from beginning to end. So I think one of the things that we're really proud of is that a customer can come to us or a resident, a future resident can come to us just when they have that first inclination that it's time for them to sell their house and move and downsize and, and sort of simplify their lives. And we can hold their hand from that very first uh, notion all the way through moving in and then beyond that. So uh, there's not a lot of organizations that can really take someone from beginning to end. We put all those pieces together for people. And I think it's a really important point. 
Well, and one of the things I love about when I hear your interviews is that you say, well, every every company in 2022 should be a technology company. We're not a technology company. We're we're way beyond just technology. And and that home manager role seems to be critical. So how are you finding uh, the right people for that role? Yeah, you know, finding talent today, especially, is really challenging. Uh, it really takes a special kind of person uh, to fill that role, to be empathetic, to, to make sure that we can really listen to our residents and understand their needs. Uh, and the, their needs are unique compared to the, you know, to the, maybe the rest of the general population, um, just as a result of just the stress involved in, in moving and, and, around, and surrounding that move and, and beyond that move. Um, so we have a really robust internal process to make sure that we're finding the right people, identifying them first, and then hiring them and onboarding them and training them properly. Um, many of them come from a background in dealing with seniors and older adults, uh, and that's been really important. But the interesting point is that we're finding a lot of people as well that have no background in dealing with older adults unless or except in with their own family members. The cool thing about this is that at some point in some in everyone's life, they're dealing with an older adult loved one. Uh, and so there's there's this relevance to our the, the, the problems that we're trying to solve um, with everyone that we speak with. And I think that finding that and finding the passion associated with that is really, really critical in, in you know, as we think about building our team out and expanding. And it seems to me a lot of the companies uh, that are coming into the, the senior living aging in place space are really focused so much on the technology and not really realizing that it's it's so it's such a people industry. Hundred percent. It's so much more than just technology. Technology, like you said, it's it's fundamental to operating any business. Uh, today's day and age, it's twenty twenty two. Like every if every business is a, not a technology business, you're not going to be in business for very long. And so the way we really think about technology is that it's sort of inherent to what we do. We can't do what we do without it, um, but it's really there to create a really great experience for our residents. What does that mean? It means that how, you know, how can we, our team, our human beings in, in our office or working from home, how can they deliver an incredible experience using that technology to our older adult residents? And that means providing a variety of channels to access that home manager. It really means a variety of channels to access any technology that a resident or their family member might need to access on their own. I think that there's a, there, it's multifaceted. Uh, and I think that all companies should be thinking about how to cater to this wide, a wide array of technological acuity uh, among this, you know, this interesting demographic. And it's changing. It's always, it's ever changing. So what you build today might not necessarily, especially if you're building consumer facing technology, what you build today might not be relevant tomorrow. And you have to consider that when you're building and, and investing in, in those things. I'm sure you must think about those things every day, Andre. <laughs> every day. I lose sleep over those things. <laughs> Um, well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Ryan Frederick's book, Right Place, Right Time, talks about um, how, you know, this aging in place thing is is really um, not right for everyone. And, and you talk a lot about aging in proximity, where, where you say that you can stay in your same neighborhood, but you go into a different type of a situation. Um, and that kind of holds off going into a senior living facility. So tell us a little bit about how you're working with the senior living community. Yeah, Ryan's a good friend. I totally agree with him on this. I think it's not necessarily um, about aging in place. It's about aging in the right place. And um, for us, that means if a person is with, you know, is living with us in a, in a pretty independent situation in an upside home, you know, utilizing their supportive type of services, their IADL type of support services delivered through their home manager, 
and then one day we decide or they decide or become maybe it's not a, cog, a conscious decision but maybe we really in our daily engagement with people understand that someone may not be safe or able to live on their own safely um, we help them transition to traditional senior living we believe we sit ahead of traditional senior living so there is a continuum i think you'll hear you always hear about the continuum and people are talking about aging um, and i think we're a part of that continuum uh, and you know, if we can keep people out of institutionalized settings for longer, maybe that's good. Uh, but for the right people at the right point in the aging journey, institutionalized settings might be the right place for my grandfather moving into a memory care facility was absolutely the right move. My grandmother couldn't care for him anymore, but for her, she had a good 10 years, uh, before she needed to, you know, to really have uh, full-time care at her disposal. So she needed a more independent solution we were there to provide that for her we didn't do it in the context of upside home we did it in the context of you know us as a family getting together and figuring out how to deliver her the supportive services that she needed but it's a continuum and it's there is no it's it's not cut and dry i think that the industry tries so often to bucket people into groups of age or acuity or mobility or accessibility or whatever it might be and i think it's much more nuanced than that uh, and we see it from our resident base today and from our prospects, there is a lot of nuance. And if you, if you treat this market as a, as a company or whatever, if you treat the market as, you know, approaching it in buckets, you're not going to, you're not going to find a lot of success, uh, because people are human beings and they age, everyone ages differently. Um, and their needs differ and they vary by the day. So true. I mean, uh, gosh, 30 years ago when I was in graduate school at Cornell, uh, we talked about uncoupling service from product so that mm -hmm. you could deliver the service that that the person wanted at the right time, the right place, that that sort of thing. So this is going way beyond that technology's enabling just a whole new generation of customization, it seems like. That's exactly right. We're all about customization, customization and individualization. I, we, we've used the term individualized aging. I'm not sure if it's sticking yet. But the, <laughs> the idea is to completely disaggregate all of the different ancillary services that people might need. And in order, and, and it, the, we've sort of reached a point in human history that we're able to do so and do so in an efficient way because of technology. So it's not necessarily the technology itself that is creating better lives, but it's what the technology enables us as a society to do that enables better lives. I think that's the point that's missed in so many conversations that I have with investors and advisors and, um, and, you know, end users. It's like, okay, well, what's the tech? What's the tech? What's the tech? Well, I think you're missing the point. If you're asking that question, the question is what is the tech doing to enable better experiences for our customers and for our members and for their family members and for us as a business to drive efficiency so that we can reduce costs for our, for our residents. I mean, these are the things that we're thinking about on, on how technology is going to improve people's well-being and, and lives. Yeah, and and it seems like you made the conscious decision to make that home manager the 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 face, if you will, and not an app at this point, right? That's exactly right. And we learned in the early days of Papa, we learned the same the same exact thing. It was you can build an app all day long, and you can put it in front of people all day long, but there's something special and something necessary to human interaction and human engagement. Um, you're, it's it's going to be really hard to solve the loneliness epidemic with um, you know with without a human touch. Uh, I'd say, and so technology can facilitate efficiencies to deliver that human touch. Technology can can drive efficiencies um, in order to help coordinate services better. Uh, but I, you know, we're humans. We're all humans. We're going to be humans forever until we become robots ourselves. I think that 
humans are going to play a really instrumental role in um, in making sure that we can can serve our older adults, uh, you know, well. Exactly, and, and then w- one of the things I heard you talk about recently was um, encouraging intergenerational relationships inside of the Upside Home Apartment communities. How are you enabling that? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. uh, And I'd say at the core, it happens organically and we facilitate that organic engagement by allowing our home managers to provide access to uh, different community experiences and events and activities, both within that physical community, that apartment complex, and also in the broader community. So as an example, when there's a food truck uh, in the parking lot of one of our apartment complexes, so one of our, off the top of my head, I can think of one that has a taco truck on Tuesdays uh, that goes into the parking lot and residents can, you know, of the apartment complex and go uh, go do that. We let our residents know about that. uh, And so that our residents can get out of their apartments, get downstairs, go have a taco and enjoy that taco with their neighbors of all ages. I mean, these are really simple things and they sound really simple, but they're the power of those basic things are very, very important to fostering those intergenerational connections that ultimately improve the, the lives of both the young and the old, we've learned. Exactly. Um, and so it's simple. I think that we, we as an industry, we, we tend to want to overcomplicate things and to look for things that are more, um, you know, more complex than they need to be. It's really simple. It's not that hard. It's letting people know about the things that are going on around them uh, and allowing them to engage in the communities that they live in uh, those are things that are simple and they have a huge and meaningful and lasting impact. I 100% agree. Um, and one of the other things uh, you've been talking about recently is is co-housing as a solution to affordability. Len Fishman from UMass Institute of Gerontology told me, we're not there yet. Americans yeah. are way too independent. They don't want co-housing. What, what is your feeling on that, Jake? I disagree with that, respectfully disagree with that thesis. I think that the, uh, I think that we haven't done it right. Um, I think that as a society, we haven't done it right yet. I think there's a big issue with co-housing and cohabitating a, a residence or a home that's already been occupied by someone else. Uh, because what we've found is that there's extreme territorialness if you don't pair people and do and have them move into a physical dwelling at the same time. If you can pair them in advance, similar to the way college roommates are matched in a dorm room setting, If you can pair them in advance and then put people into a neutral territory, a territory that's managed by us, but that's, you know, that, uh, that has some ground rules that where one person isn't the quote unquote owner or, uh, one person isn't quote unquote the roommate, um, Mm. you have a lot more success there. And we've already experienced that. So I'd say that, you know, when you talk about roommate matching platforms that are on the market today, there's varying levels of success that they've had. And my argument would be that they're, they're, they've only varied in success because you have, you have to deal with that territorialness. I think that there's a huge need, and it's coming as a result of this crazy housing market that we're all experiencing across the country now, uh, who knows wh- when that's going to give. But there's a financial urgency here. There's people that are being forced to live with, uh, live with other people. Um, we believe that we can facilitate better co-living arrangements as a result of our technology and and the processes that we put in place uh, to allow for that. So what percentage of uh, your prospects would you say would be interested in a co-housing situation? And is it related usually to dollars and cents? Yeah, I'd say upwards of 50% actually, which is, it sounds like a high number, but that's the numbers that are coming to us. And I'd say most of it is financially driven. Absolutely. Uh, It's need-based. It's like, okay, well, I really want to maintain my quality of life and my standard of living. 
Uh, I don't any longer have a steady income except for maybe social security and some uh, assets that I've sold. Maybe I sold my house and I have some cash that I'm living on. Um, I want to make sure that I don't run out of money. Uh, that's an important car- you know, important factor for people. I don't want to burden my kids asking them for money every month. Um, and oh, by the way, it would be nice to wake up and say hello to someone that I, that I liked every morning because I just lost my husband or my wife or whatever it might be. And so I think that people are coming around to this idea of co-living because of all of the really positive things that it can bring them. Um, you can live in a much nicer apartment than you otherwise might be able to afford if you live with a roommate. And also you have built-in companionship as a result of that. And so if you can match, if you can be matched with the right type of person that maybe shares some similar interests or similar hobbies or has some similar life experiences, it could be a really fantastic experience. It doesn't have to be something that you dread. Uh, and by the way, you save some money in the process. So you're, I'm assuming that your matching software is using some sort of algorithm or AI to, to find the right match? Absolutely. Uh, we collect a tremendous amount of information when we onboard a new person into the system. And, uh, and that really helps us uh, make those matches appropriately. And, you know, it, we match and the successful matches come not from what you might think. It's not necessarily based on age or, you know, uh, but, or age or acuity or mobility issues, but it's based on compatibility. Like, how would you want to be matched with anybody? Forget about the age. Like, there are people that are 87 that match really well with 65-year-olds. Um, just because you may have a 20-something-year gap doesn't necessarily mean you might not be a good match. And I think that's one of the things that we learned pretty early on, too. And I would assume that that's something you're going to get smarter and smarter and smarter at. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, technology, we keep talking about technology. Technology is at the core of everything that we do. And which, what that means is, is that we're able to collect information, really good information about all of the interactions that we have with both prospects and with residents uh, and, and with their family members, um, not to be big brother, but to really make this better for people. So, Jake, you just announced some growth plans. Can you share with us uh, where you're going and what you're doing? Sure. Yeah. We've spent the last six months um, really buckling down and understanding what our go-to-market strategy is going to be, understanding what the talent uh, and technology requirements are going to be to get us to that, uh, to that next phase of growth. We've been seeing demand from across the country uh, in markets near and far from South Florida, where we're headquartered. Um, and we've now decided it's the time. It's time to really start servicing the markets where that demand is. Um, and so we're going to be launching a pretty aggressive growth strategy starting uh, in the next month or two uh, of 10 new markets a month. Uh, and when I, when I say markets, that's like, uh, you know, DMA uh, designated areas. That's could be like the Tampa Bay area or the Jacksonville area. That's what, that's what I mean by that. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, and that, there's, a, there's a lot of aspects and elements involved in that market expansion, uh, but that's what we've been working so hard to do. We didn't want to expand too quickly uh, because we wanted to make sure that we had everything in order. Uh, our number one priority is providing quality service to our residents. And unless and until we're able, we were able to do that, we didn't want to sort of get ahead of ourselves. Wow. Well, it's going to be an exciting year. Um, so personally, for you, Jake, what gets you most excited these days? You know, it's a good, it's a good question. I get very excited pretty easily about a lot uh, in this industry. We see new opportunities every day uh, come about. But I think that what gets me most excited, you know, day to day is hearing the stories of our residents, like, and the ways that we're able to help them improve their lives. It's, it's micro, you know, I'm not thinking about the macro picture always. I'm sometimes thinking about the micro. And when I hear stories and anecdotes from our home management team about the ways in which we've helped residents and 
the ways in which their lives are better today because of what uh, because of the help that we've been able to provide and the housing that we've been able to provide them. That gets me really, really excited. Uh, and the idea that we can scale that impact uh, and do it really pretty quickly is um, is what keeps me going every day. And I think it keeps the whole team going here. Well, Jake, thank you so much for joining us today to give us an update on Upside Home. And I appreciate everything you're doing for older adults. And I'm sure all our listeners do as well. Cool. Thank you so much, Nancy. Really appreciate the time. Thank you, Jake. Okay. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Glowing Older Podcast. 